The following is brought to you by Andy Beach, Nick Wood, Paul Boyer, Michael Bolick, and Will Harris. Hello and welcome, everybody, to the Politics, Politics, Politics podcast, August 7th, 2020 edition of the program. A lot coming up here for you. We are at Veepstakes Eve, part deux. We got a job support. We got a mailbag. We've got some Kanye stuff and an executive order. From Donald Trump about Chinese tech companies, including TikTok and WeChat. And so, if we're going to have a conversation about tech, and it's going to be about politics, well, I mean, come on, we got to bring on our buddy Tom Merritt from Daily Tech News Show, occasional co-host of this very program. So Tom will come on in a little bit. You know, I, I, I'm starting to feel like Fridays are Fridays. Again, they're, they're not the same Fridays. They are different Fridays. You know, Fridays used to be we could I could meet friends and stuff like that. And I, mean, I guess friends don't really exist anymore. <laughs> At least not out here, man. I'll tell you what. Um, no joke. The exodus is real. Like, we didn't exactly have a, a, a an expansive social circle, my wife and I, but uh, two of the people that, that we would see the most are either gone or, or looking to go. I've seen a lot more U-Hauls on, on the road these days. Uh, people just getting the hell out of the city. And I really can't blame them. Because a lot of the reasons why you would move to a city are kind of gone right now. You know, the the nightlife, the, the, the culture, the arts. You know, it ain't what it used to be. It doesn't exist, literally. So who knows whether or not they move back. But um, for now, man, gone, baby, gone. That's a really depressing note. Let's get... Less depressed? Question mark in our butt first. Thank God it's Friday. I know you don't smoke weed, but I'm gonna get you high today. Cause it's Friday, you ain't got no job, and you ain't got shit to do. Keep the heads ringing. We've got the July jobs report in. This one was going to be interesting because June was a fairly promising jobs report. Four million jobs added. There was a chance that we could cross back into normalcy with this jobs report. There's still a few very troubling <laughs> uh, uh, areas that we are floating in. And this report didn't get us over those humps. It brought us to the threshold. But here's the top line. 
We're still over 10% unemployment. That is literally Great Depression levels. We did add 1.8 million jobs. Again, down from 4 million in June. But that is to be expected in that not only did uncertainty around coronavirus continue to reign, but remember that it was around the July 4th weekend that the death, the, 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 the death curve, the final place for, for holdouts of, yes, there's a lot of cases, but we're testing more. The deaths are what matters. Well, the deaths went up. So that means a lot of stuff shut down. Uh, uh, and this was Florida, Texas, Arizona, a lot of big states that had actually reopened to a certain degree. Now, all of a sudden, grand opening, grand closing. So you're not going to see the same kind of job growth that you did in June, in July. That is confirmed here. Politically, and again, I've, I've said before, it's the virus, stupid. It's not the, the, the old saying, it's the economy, stupid. Now, it's the virus, stupid. That's it. That's all anybody cares about because you have to beat the virus to unlock the economy. The virus is standing in between you and the economy. The best steward of the economy that you could be is the person that takes the virus very seriously. Politically, right now. And in that vein, this is kind of a no action. Because Biden can't jump up and down and scream that we lost jobs. And Trump can't bleed on about this being a V recovery. So no one's really going to talk about this all that much. And, you know, Biden's got some more news that's probably going to drown out stuff anyway. So you can say, look, uh, uh, Trump killed the economy and this is it floundering. You can say, yes, we're still in the middle of dealing with this coronavirus as the world is. And, you know, we, we haven't lost more jobs. We stopped the bleeding. Uh, now it's just a matter of how uh, long it takes us to get back to normalcy. But either way, th th there's not really a super strong political weapon here to bludgeon your opponent with. Twas the night before Veep Miss. And all through the country, we wondered, didn't we do this literally last week? Justin, honestly, come on. Hey, dummy. Dummy, didn't you literally do this whole thing a week ago? Didn't you make a big deal about the fact that Joe Biden was going to announce his vice president a week ago and it's on me on a Saturday and you pompously sat there in your stupid little Oakland apartment and said, well, what you have to understand is that the political world operates on a Sunday uh, start date because they all watch and meet the press like they're William F. Buckley in 1961. Yes, that's, well, I'm so smart. Well, it didn't happen, dingus. Sorry, sometimes my inner monologue uh, comes to the fore. Uh, uh, it, it is. Look, uh, uh, I thought it was going to be last week, and it seems that you know there's reporting to say that it was going to be last week, and then it wasn't. But I just want to say this, all right, because there is some last-minute jockeying here amongst the, 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 the Veep finalists. First, the good news, Karen Bass. Oh, my God. Oh, my God, Karen Bass. Karen Bass started everything out, and then... The wolves 
came for her and quick. Uh, uh, past support for communism. Like, not even just like you joined a book club, like went to Cuba. That level. Opened up a Scientology clinic. Or Scientology center. Not a clinic. Whatever. It, a big one. Then said, oh, I only opened up the Scientology Center because it was in my district. Oops. That's not true neither. Had to walk that one back. When you have to walk back the walk back, you know that things didn't go well. Well, we got some good news for Karen Bass. 300 DNC delegates have uh, uh, endorsed Karen as a pick that would bring the party together. That would... uh, that would, that would unite some warring factions. Notable on that list, Nina Turner, one of the campaign co-chairs for Bernie Sanders. She putting her weight behind Karen Bass. Not so much good news for Susan Rice, for whom it was revealed today that she indeed has purchased into the Keystone XL pipeline at some point. And that would be a bit of an issue for some of the progressives. You know, buying into a thing that Biden is against, at least in terms of his policy positions, and a gigantic monument to what environmentalists see as moving in the wrong direction in terms of trying to get Uh, the urgent crisis of climate change under control, not to mention the issues of, you know, native land and stuff like that. So Susan Wrights gets another black mark. Karen Bass gets some good news. But if I'm going to start this segment yelling at myself, then allow me to totally pull a 180 and talk about how smart I am. How smart I am. I did a segment a week and a half ago saying that both of these women in particular were jobbers. They belong at the corner of Jabroni Drive and Know Your Role Boulevard. And what happened in that week and a half? What happened when I said that these two were enhancement talent, enhancement talent for Kamala Harris? Well... Since then, one of them was outed as a stand for Castro and Zenu, and the other added oil profiteer and native land defiler on top of Mrs. Benghazi. Guys, dread it. Run from it. Destiny arrives all the same. Right? (laughs) The sun is shining (laughs) and the (laughs) rain... Yeah, I'm, I'm talking about Kanye again. I'm not even gonna apologize for it. Whatever. If you don't like it, I'm sorry. It's you know, skip it. Skip. There's a 30 second button. Whatever. Okay, fine. I'm talking about Kanye. Hi. There's a Kanye article that really got on my nerves. There's a couple Kanye articles that have been a little dumb. This was the most dumb. When you want to run for president. You are just a generic rich dude who wants to run for president. 
There are only so many people that know how to get you onto ballots that you can hire. These tend to come from one of two clans, liberal or conservative. And so the fact that Kanye West is trying to get on these ballots using people that work for traditionally conservative uh, uh, causes does not mean that there is a top-down conspiracy. It means that people who are otherwise out of work would like money. And Ye's got that cash. That's what that means. So, Kanye uh, uh, had a big uh, headline the other day. And it was that uh, uh, Kanye admits that his run for the presidency is there deliberately to be a spoiler candidate for Biden. This is on Forbes. Same guy that did the interview with him where he laid out all of his crazy thoughts and platforms and everything, right? And initially, I was like, it would not shock me if Kanye, Kanye's already said that he would beat Joe Biden off write-ins, phrasing, yay, phrasing. So he obviously has warmer feelings for Trump than he does for Biden. And the Forbes article is stupid. It's so stupid. Literally, the guy asked some questions, uh, asked him the, the question, are you a spoiler candidate for Biden? And the answer that he is given is, I'm not going to argue with you. Jesus is king. And that might mean that he's not going to argue with the point. Or it could mean that he's not going to argue because he doesn't, he disagrees with the, the premise of the question and doesn't want to get into it. Like, it could be one of those two things. The, to run with that as a headline, I think is irresponsible and stupid. But it did make me think of this. The reason why I would not be shocked if Kanye West had better feelings for Trump than Biden has very little to do with Trump. Kanye West has a personal beef with Barack Obama. And I would assume that that translates to Joe Biden. And I think it's a personal issue. Here's why. Let's go back to that infamous night at the MTV Video Music Awards when Kanye, then fresh off his album Graduation, really had his life spin off the rails. Yeah. He's been doing this for that long. He jumps up on stage and interrupts Taylor Swift. Yo, Taylor, I, I'm really happy for you. I'm gonna let you finish. But Beyonce had one of the best videos of all time. This creates international headlines. It's a big story. And so is the fact that Kanye was drinking a bottle of Henny before he ran up on stage. It even reaches the President of the United States who at this point, remember, Barack Obama's elected in 2008. In 2009, he is less than a year into the job, inaugurated uh, earlier that year. Let's also remember who Obama is, the first black president from Chicago. Kanye West is an ascendant, iconic rap hip-hop superstar from Chicago. And so, I believe, and this is my opinion, I don't know for sure, 
but I believe that Kanye was personally hurt and scarred when Obama said the following. Were that Kanye gave <laughs> Taylor Swift the Joe Wilson treatment? I thought that was really inappropriate. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's like she's getting an award. What are you, what are you buttoning? I, I, I hear you. I, I agree with you. <laughs> I, would, I hope that, I, I, Joe, does that count as the first question? That, <laughs> the young lady seems like a perfectly nice person. She's getting her award. What's he doing up there? Do He's a jackass. <laughs> we know that Kanye is a very sensitive soul. And I can imagine that somebody that should be at the forefront of support for Kanye West it would hurt to hear him taking the side of somebody that he didn't even feel was that big of a thing. Yeah, Taylor, look, you apologize, I'm gonna let you finish, but we wanted to shout out Beyonce, he's standing up for Blackheart, and the first black president, what does he do? He backdoors him. From Chicago, no less. Kanye's comeback single, after all this, almost derailed his career, is called Power. It's what we came into this segment with. And it does not go without a mention to how he was maligned by the press and specifically the role that Obama played in it. Now, everything that comes afterward, marrying into the Kardashians and becoming religious and becoming a father and all that, like, that's all stuff that I would guess would probably bring you closer to Republicans than you would Democrats. And then there's the fact that Kanye's just kind of an iconoclast and he wants to do things that are different than other people. And uh, he's got a soft, weird uh, love-hate rivalry with Jay-Z where like, he has like a big brother, little brother thing. And I think he was always upset that they were plugged in to the Democratic stuff and he wasn't. So I think he, you know, when, when he said that he was thinking about voting for Trump and Trump reaches out to him and Trump invites him to Trump Tower while he was in the middle of another mental episode, I think that that scratches his belly. To me, that's that's far more uh, uh, you know, connective tissue to why he's in this situation and whether or not he is deliberately trying to get Trump reelected. I'm not saying that that's not true. I'm just saying that we don't have direct evidence of it. But if there were, I would say this ahead of any kind of ideological concerns. End Kanye rant. All right, guys, we'll get into the mailbag in a second. But first, I want to remind you that the people that make this show go, go to TakePoliticsSeriously.com. So it's the first uh, week of the month. A lot of people reshuffling their budgets. And man, do I understand it in these modern times, man. Any dime that you can uh, carve out for anything, no, from, from our end, is very well appreciated. And especially as we go into kind of some heavy-duty four on the floor, let's uh, leave everything out on the field 
more cliches, give 110% on your cliches kind of time with the conventions and the uh, uh, debates and then, of course, election night. Uh, just know that it matters. Every little bit of it matters. Just a buck gets you your custom RSS feed, gets you each and every one of these art, uh, episodes way faster than you would otherwise. $3 gets you the bonus episodes on Monday and Thursday. And if this time I'm correct and there is a vice presidential announcement on Saturday, then you will get the first, uh, the first blush on that, my first reaction to it. Of course, $10 to get your name read at the end of the show in the donor class. Thank you, thank you, thank you. But if you're not a patron, I want to know what you like and what you don't like about this show. And whether or not you ever become a patron, that's fine. I just want to make this better. I want to make it better for you guys. I put this out to the patrons already. Non-patrons, I'm begging you. Head on over to bit.ly slash px3 poll, P-O-L-L. Again, that is bit.ly slash px3 poll, P-O-L-L. You can take it on your phone. It's very, very easy to do on mobile. Uh, this feedback was so important to the show uh, last year, and I think it's going to be the same this year as we continue to evolve and grow this community. Thank you, thank you, thank you. bit.ly slash px3 p-o-l-l. They asked me, did I go deep in my bag? And I tell them, I sure did. Yes, indeed. You can be a part of our mailbag, theyoungamerican at gmail.com. Again, theyoungamerican at gmail.com. First one comes in from Shiftlock. Hey, Justin, you might be interested to know that the cuckoo bird, which I assume came from the Joe Biden ad we played in the last episode on Wednesday, uh, the cuckoo bird is the origin of the contemporary term cuck, which is derived from cuckoldry. The cuckoo bird is a brood parasite. The female lays her egg in the nest of other species, leaving them to be hatched and raised by foster parent birds. In doing so, it's said that she adulterates the nest of the host birds, and it results in the male bird raising the young as his own, thus becoming a symbol for infidelity. This was thought to be outrageous and infuriating to call the, the, the cuckoo became the symbol of delirium. The cuckoo is referenced in William Shakespeare's play Love's Labor's Lost in the song The Owl and the Cuckoo, which we will read right now. The cuckoo then on every tree mocks married men for thus sings he cuckoo, cuckoo, a word of fear unpleasing to a married ear and now you know the rest of the story. I didn't know that. Look at that. Pat writes, I'm not sure how to articulate this, but I wanted to send this to you and see if you had any thoughts. I work as an independent software engineer and have for about 20 years. And I'm getting the feeling that a second wave of tough times are just coming. I was lucky enough to ride out the last six months with plenty of work to do. But recently... Three of my clients have pulled back on already approved and funded projects, as in I had POs in hand. This is an industry with annual budgets allocated way ahead, like two years. So I went from having 18 months of work booked to like 10. 
Clients all say the same thing. We just want to delay that a little. Not trying to be doom and gloom, but we might be headed for some hungry times. Curious if others are experiencing the same. Look, uh, uh, economic uncertainty is the worst thing you can have. And I think that there was a gigantic shockwave that went through all of our culture after things spiked again in the South and there was more closures. You know, the even if we calm down now, I don't think that there that the concept of we're gonna flip a switch is over. And nobody knows what happens on the other side of that. So I agree. Uncertainty is the enemy of business. And right now we don't have a whole lot of certainty on even where we're gonna be in a year. You know, all these tech companies, uh, Google and Uber and I think Facebook did it today, they all pushed uh, a return to the office mandates to July, mostly because they think they don't want to get into a situation where every three months they're saying it's going to be another three months. So they're basically pushing it out a year. Like they don't know. Nobody knows. And nobody knows what this business looks like and by this business, I mean every business, when everything starts chugging again. So I, I would agree that there are, are tough times ahead. And a lot of it is just because of the uncertainty. Just another pilot writes, uh, you're amazing. Holy S. You're proving every day why you're worth the $10 a week. Uh, I think the 14 points of fascism segment made me cry a little happiness. I'm going to steal every point and pretend it's mine. I wanted to read this because I, this is the most, when I did that, that 14 points of fascism from both sides thing last week, it was on one hand, the most praised thing I have done in a while. And also the most criticized. Like I got a couple, uh, a couple emails and, and even personal friends reaching out to me saying, this is terrible. Why on earth did you do this? This is either a, the exact kind of yelling and hatred that I come to PX three to get away from, or as a friend told me, you have always provided more context and clarity for these things. And in that moment, you were really not advertising to the far right or the far left. You were advertising to the radical moderate, of which there aren't many, <laughs> which is true. I just wanted to note that that segment was something I didn't think a whole lot about. And every once in a while, whenever you're talking about things that people really, really care about, every once in a while, you trip over uh, a power line. And you got to realize that there's a power line there. And so uh, it made me think a lot about it. If you had feelings about the, that, that segment, then trust me, you are not alone. I got enough nice things about it that I cut it out and, and put it on the Patreon and on my SoundCloud so you guys can share it if you want. But enough people reached out and said, hey, stop, <laughs> that uh, I, I've, I've thought a little bit more about it. So I just wanted to, to read something like uh, along those lines. 
And finally, Sean writes, uh, could you book an interview with somebody who has advice on how to pick what local judges to vote for? In some elections, there are six judge positions on my ballot. I have no idea where to find information about them. John Oliver talked about district attorneys, but what about the other side of the room? I'll do my best, Sean. I will do my best. Uh, uh, I, I have no idea even where to start there, but now I am publicly committing to the fact that I will effort a solution. All right, that is it for the mailbag. If you want to write in, it is theyoungamerican at gmail.com. Just yesterday, Donald Trump, the president of the United States, signed two executive orders regulating companies owned by Chinese interests in the United States to talk about that and how the larger fight against China is affecting our modern tech ecosystem is a man who is no stranger to you, the listener. In fact, it's safe to say that in our poll that you can take at bit.ly slash px3poll, there are two men for whom you guys love the most. One of them's Andrew Heaton, and the other is our guest, host of the Daily Tech News Show, our UK correspondent, but all-around expert in tech, Tom Merritt. Welcome to the show, Tom. Oh, it's so good to be back. Uh, all right. So the, uh, full disclosure, I wanted to have you on because there's a larger kind of China tech issue that has been bubbling up. But then we got a massive news peg late yesterday. Uh, it, was, it, was, it had to be evening East Coast because it was afternoon here on the West Coast. Uh, and that is an executive order from President Trump. What does this executive order say? Uh, yeah, there are two. Uh, one applies to ByteDance, uh, saying that uh, it will ban U.S. companies within 45 days unless conditions change, a.k.a. maybe Microsoft buys it. Uh, companies will not be allowed to engage in transactions with TikTok. Uh, and there is a second order that uh, does the same for WeChat. Uh, the WeChat one, I think, is more interesting, even though WeChat has a smaller number of users in the United States, because... There's some odd wording in that executive order okay. uh, that says not only related to WeChat, but also its parent company, Tencent, which owns a lot of companies and stakes in a lot of companies. Yeah. So let's let's actually I mean, we're, we're going to spend probably a little bit more time talking about the ins and outs of the TikTok sale and the pressure put on it to bring it about. But let's spend some time on WeChat for folks who are are not tech savvy. uh Explain what WeChat is and exactly how successful an app it is. Yeah, you'll usually in the United States see it compared to WhatsApp uh, because WeChat started as a messenger and that's still its predominant use. Uh, but I, I don't think that gives you a fair impression of it. In China, WeChat is everything. It's PayPal, it's Uber, it's Yelp, uh, it's WeChat, it's WhatsApp. Uh, it is the way you do everything. If you go to China and you don't have WeChat, People are going to look at you odd when you try to pay for things, when they ask you how to get in touch with you. Uh, so even though there's only one and a half million or so users in the United States, saying that U.S. companies can't engage just with WeChat, let's forget Tencent, the parent company, would mean that Apple, for instance, wouldn't be able to have WeChat in its app store in China, which is, would essentially kill iPhone sales in China because no Chinese user is going to want to have a phone that doesn't have WeChat on it. Same as 
uh, users outside of China don't want a Huawei phone that doesn't have all the Google services on it. Yeah, yeah. And, and that part of what has built WeChat up to be a monster is the fact that in China, they are very protectionist with local companies and they have kept American companies out at uh, to the benefit of companies like WeChat, right? I mean, yes and no. Uh, certainly, WeChat has benefited from that. You're absolutely right. There's also just a different ecosystem inside China yeah. uh, with, with regard to wireless payments. And WeChat wasn't the only competitor within China for this. So I would say that you're right in the broad scale, but within China, WeChat out-competed sure. out its other Chinese brethren. So it is it is kind of a, uh, a, a Facebook, Google, Amazon type of platform in and of itself and that it probably has too much of a predominant market share within China. I also want to throw in that if WeChat were to no longer be available on, on US phones because it is against the law to have transactions, uh, that means a lot of other things. Banks might not process payments to WeChat, which could stop uh, Chinese tourists from being able to use it uh, abroad uh, to pay for things. Uh, it would also cut off uh, you know, grandmothers from children in the United States who, who are, you know, talking to each other because one of them's immigrated and one of them hasn't. So you'll probably hear sob stories about that as well. Uh, it, it, it's a massive move, uh, which is why I say it might be more significant than the TikTok one, which impacts a lot of people who like making dancing videos. And it's very popular and has a broader user base, but it, it doesn't have the import to existing in daily life that WeChat does. And more specifically... ByteDance, which owns TikTok, is not Tencent. Tencent is no, a yeah. a massive force in China and has a lot more ties to the United States than just WeChat, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, a lot of people may or may not realize uh, that uh, Tencent owns Riot Games. Riot makes uh, Clash of Kings, or actually Riot makes League of Legends. League of Legends, yeah. Uh, Clash of Kings is a Tencent game as well. These are very popular games. Uh, and Tencent also has partial stakes in companies like Blizzard and Spotify and, and a lot of others. Now, this executive order mentions WeChat by name. It then sort of vaguely talks about Tencent holdings as well. One reading of the executive order is to say, you can't have a transaction related to WeChat with Tencent or any subsidiary. In other words, we're just trying to stop WeChat, and if they try to like use a subsidiary like Riot to get around the ban, we're gonna stop that too. Other people have looked at this and said, well, this could mean any transaction with Tencent at all, and if that were the case, then that could mean that Blizzard, for instance, would have to cut out part of its ownership uh, yeah. from, you know, and, and cause all kinds of complicated situations. Uh, my guess is it doesn't mean that. Uh, there is another provision in this executive order that says the Secretary of Commerce shall identify the transaction subject to the order uh, by the end of the 45 days. I will totally expect the Secretary of Commerce to issue uh, a list and description of transactions that try to isolate WeChat and say, no, we're just after WeChat here. We're not going to try to shut down League of Legends, but we'll see. There, Then there's the fact that Trump has kind of taken the fan fiction approach to executive orders. Uh, he, he kind of fires them off uh, uh, based on what he believes should happen, whether or not he has the uh, authority to do so. Uh, he's had many that are either toothless or 
uh, uh, ruled, uh, uh, you know, uh, totally ineffective by courts. Where do we think the teeth in this are? Yeah, this is issued as part of the International Emergency Economic Powers Act, uh, which replaced the previous Emergency Powers Act in 1977 as part of the fallout from Watergate. They were trying to limit the powers of the president to say, you can't just leave an Emergency Powers Act uh, in force forever. There were, at that time in 1977, there were still banking emergency act uh, emergency acts in force from Roosevelt. Uh, so they said, look, we're just going to end all the existing emergency acts. We're going to start over. Uh, and at first, it was rarely used. Jimmy Carter used it in 1979 for the Iran hostage uh, crisis, which that act is actually still in force. Uh, so it sort of belies the purpose here. But I guess it has gone through the oversight and, and said, yes, that is still a threat. We'll let that one continue. Uh, it's generally used for Terrorist acts, uh, for the most part, uh, Bush and Clinton still have both have 10 acts that they put in place uh, that are available, uh, that are still in force right now, and they generally re refer to terrorism. It was also used by Reagan, Bush, Clinton uh, for uh, tariffs, and, and President Trump used it for, for tariffs with Mexico once as well. Uh, but it is subject to oversight. It is subject to uh, having to meet the definition of emergency, and you can bet that this order is going to be challenged, and whether TikTok collecting the same information as Facebook, but possibly maybe storing it outside of the U.S. in a way that the Chinese Communist Party could get at, is going to be a tough sell to a judge, I think. All right, let's let's get into the TikTok thing then, because that culturally is something that is obviously more relevant than some of the other stuff here, although I agree with you that that is probably more interesting in terms of the future of our relationships with China and with tech with China specifically. But the, the TikTok situation, me and you were texting back and forth when this was going down because I was kind of surprised it was moving as fast as it was. Uh, a, a TikTok today is now pushing back on the executive order, but the, it kind of felt like it went from zero to sure, we'll sell out to Microsoft really quick. Yeah, uh, that was surprising for a lot of people that ByteDance, the parent company of TikTok, was so willing uh, to to say, fine, yeah, we'll we'll carve out part of it. And, and the story moved over the course of the week from, well, they just want the Australia... New Zealand, uh, U.S. Uh, parts of this operation, and maybe they'd move the rest of it to be headquartered in London to, well, Microsoft might want India and Europe operations as well to Microsoft wants the whole thing, and then Business Insider saying, uh, we have a source that says all of this is false, that none of that is true. Who knows what's going on there? But ByteDance was giving in and saying, fine, we will sell off the TikTok parts uh, to Microsoft if that's what we need to do to satisfy investors. And the theory about why they would do that could involve the fact that ByteDance is really just trying to satisfy its investors. It's got a lot of American investors, and and it's under pressure to say, like, hey, don't kill the golden goose. Do what you need to keep this going. Uh, it could also be that uh, there is some history of Zhang Yimin, the uh, CEO of ByteDance, being seen as too pro-Western, uh, that, that he he espouses Western values sometimes on the Weibo social network and and gets a lot of flack for that. And so maybe he's just, you know, sucking up. That's that's the idea in China. Uh, it could be that they, they got caught with their hands in the cookie jar and there really is something going on and they don't want anybody to know, so they want to bail as soon as possible.
just to give folks uh, who don't follow tech a little context here, uh, to show you how different this is than when this has happened before, like what does the normal courtship and acquisition of, let's say, when when Google bought YouTube or Amazon bought Twitch or uh, the, the the selling of social networks, Facebook bought Instagram, that there normally is. People know that this entity is looking for possible buyers or or there is a, a, a flirting period. There's a couple possible suitors and then things land at whatever price it, it lands at. But this is normally a fairly leisurely process that often leads to no sale, right? Yeah, right. It's it's usually not a 45-day process under the gun of an executive order. That is correct. <laughs> uh, the uh, the the normal scenario, uh, and and there are lots of different scenarios, but a normal scenario uh, would be a company decides they want to put themselves or part of themselves up for sale. They hire a bank to do strategic analysis. That signals everybody like, hey, if you're interested, give us a call. People can look at the books, kind of see if they're interested. That gauges how many people might want to buy. And then if somebody gets serious, you start talking to them. This goes months and months and months. And like you say, it may lead to a couple of suitors. It may lead to a deal. It may not. They may decide, you know what, we didn't get anybody wanting to give us what we want for this, so we're going to hold on to it anyway, or we're just going to spin it out. Uh, that usually takes months and months. Once somebody's interested, it can take months and months because another bidder might come in yeah. and say, well, actually, we, you know, we are going to pay you more for that. So the, uh, this 45 days is is incredibly shortened for any kind of negotiation for, for the sale of an asset as big as this. And then there's the fact that the normal list of suitors is a little shorter than it would be otherwise, because yeah, I mean, yeah, there there aren't suitors. There's, there's one. Yeah, and uh, actually, no, you know what? That's not true. There there are reports from Reuters that uh, Sequoia Capital and uh, I want to say Atlantic Group uh, were looking into this before Microsoft. So there might be a couple of others, but Microsoft is clearly the one blessed by the administration. Axios also had a report that Apple was possibly interested in. And then Apple firmly said, nope, we yeah. are absolutely yeah. not. So yeah. Which that was always a weird bet. That was, a, that was a weird report to me, mostly because Apple's been so firm in the we don't want to be in the ad sales game, and that's why you would buy TikTok. I I don't know that this is the case, uh, but when I was working at Tech TV and we were up for sale, uh, there were companies that came in and expressed interest in order to just get a look at the at the books. Yeah. Uh, so they could just walk away with that knowledge. I'm not saying this did happen, but it wouldn't be impossible that Apple did that to say like, hey, we want to collect some data and see what, what TikTok's up to, uh, but didn't have any intention of ever actually trying to buy it. But back in the olden times, as we look back in our sepia filters to the aughts and early tens, uh, when you were looking to sell a social network, there were kind of a few places you would go. Facebook, Google, being chief among them. But when Google and Facebook are both under their own federal spotlight, specifically because they purchased rival social networks, that's just simply not going to happen now, right? It would be a tall order. I mean, I wouldn't put it past either one of those companies if they really thought they could get something out of it to do it. Uh, Facebook not only has the antitrust pressure, but also Instagram. Uh, why would they buy Snapchat 
when they could just imitate it with Instagram. Uh, they learned that lesson because Snapchat wouldn't sell to them either. Uh, so now they realize, oh, well, we'll just launch Reels. We'll we'll put the TikTok feature inside of Instagram uh, and see how that goes. And that actually made uh, Mark Zuckerberg one of the richest men on earth uh, this week because launching Reels pushed the stock price up. So yeah, uh, who would want TikTok now with all of the the sturm and drong that goes around acquiring it, they don't have a clear monetization path. I don't know, maybe a company whose whole purpose is to show off what it can do with cloud computing and <laughs> Azure uh, might be interested in just running this to show off what they can do with cloud computing and Azure. Before we get into the Microsoft part of it, because I think that they do face a tall technical order that I think people would be interested to hear about. There is another company that I, is is partly in the social media game, but could probably stand to to purchase another that also deals with their own cloud uh, services in AWS, and that's Amazon. I'm kind of surprised we haven't heard at least even a little fish flakes in the water about that. Yeah. Uh, if I had to guess why Amazon is not interested, uh, it's probably still partially antitrust, right? Like why invite extra scrutiny like that, uh, at a time when you don't need it. Also, they are the leader in cloud computing. They don't have to show off that they can host, uh, a, a service like this or, and they don't generally make acquisitions for that point the way that, that Microsoft has. I, I think also Amazon's really a customer service focused uh, company. And this just kind of falls outside of that mission that Bezos is always pushing, which is how do we be the, the bestest retail people we can be? And AWS and its burgeoning logistics business come out of servicing the customer. Yeah. They created AWS to serve Amazon and then realized, hey, we've got a business here. Uh, they're getting into the logistics business to deliver packages for Amazon, but I fully expect them started to see the beginning signs of them saying, but we also have a business here. So it, TikTok just doesn't quite fit into that mission statement as well. And it's $50 billion or so at valuation. So you, you don't take a flyer on it unless you really want it. You mentioned 50 billion. I would guess that that's probably what they would look to get if they were again doing kind of the traditional way that you would sell a company. Does a federal executive ban on your product uh, bump that number up or down? Yeah, that's a very good point. I would guess it would depress the price a little. Uh, you have a motivated seller. Uh, <laughs> yeah, right. Now got a, a like, well, in 45 days, this won't work for us possibly anymore. So maybe we should sell it to you, right? It's like, Ima imagine, imagine you said, own, if you, you own... don't sell this house, but yeah. in 45 days, we're tearing it down. Eh, it makes you motivated. Imagine it. Yeah, you own a Fabergé egg and you are in <laughs> an apartment in disputed territory and you can only sell it to the one person that you hang out at the bar in the lobby of your building or the revolutionaries are going to come in and destroy the egg. <laughs> like you're going to take whatever you can get, even if it's just another round. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I, I would expect it would be less uh, than 50 billion. And some people were, were kind of wondering if that 50 billion was, was inflated, which these valuations for funding uh, can be sometimes. So yeah, expect less, but still, Still pricey, still well, much cheaper. Yeah, and, and also it's like the, the the evaluations are made on what the next two years will look like, right. right? And and where your explosive growth will be two years from now. And right now, we don't know what two years looks like for TikTok. So it's like, sure, in a perfect world where everything is still growing the way that it's growing, 
uh, uh, it could be. But now, I mean, who knows? Also, they're possibly not getting all of TikTok, so they would have to pay less for that. Yeah. Too. Uh, this also is not just the normal way that you would handle an acquisition. It's not like, uh, you know, when when Google bought YouTube, uh, you know, YouTube kept some of their own offices and some people moved into the Googleplex. But by and large, they were kind of two companies that eventually sort of merged closer and closer together. This would be something that would be a full code teardown and rebuild, right? Maybe. Uh, I haven't really been able to figure out exactly what's going on there. Uh, on the on the organizational side, uh, TikTok uh, springs from a company called Musical.ly that ByteDance bought. Uh, so that's something that, that people may or may not be aware of. ByteDance in China doesn't operate TikTok. They operate an, a Chinese version of that kind of service called Douyin. That's not up for sale. There, nobody's getting that. ByteDance is holding on to that. TikTok was Musical.ly, which was co-headquartered in uh, Shanghai and Santa Monica. And the CEO of TikTok under ByteDance uh, lives in Santa Monica. He's a former Disney executive. So organizationally, it shouldn't be hard. You you just make the headquarters uh, Santa Monica, you hold on to all those offices, you keep those employees, bing, bang, you're done. But there have been several articles saying that unwinding the code would to 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 prevent it from interoperating with the rest of the world would be difficult, which would make sense why Microsoft says, you know what, maybe we should just buy the whole thing, right? Yeah. Because that will make it simpler. Again, this is not because TikTok has data centers in China. It doesn't. Uh, tick, or at least TikTok says it doesn't. TikTok says all of its data is either stored in Singapore or in the United States. Uh, and Singapore is just the backup, just the redundant for US data. Uh, Duyen is not interoperable with TikTok. They do not cross paths code-wise, but the code used in Duyen is similar to the code in TikTok. So that also causes confusion. I think what's going on with people saying you'd have to rebuild the code is if you only took Australia, New Zealand, US, Canada, gotcha. you would then have to somehow figure out how to share videos across the two different versions of TikTok uh, and, and extricate that code from each other. And either way, whatever your solution is, you're going to have to prove that this is not going to China to federal authorities at some point, right? It it should be easy once you operate TikTok, once yes. Microsoft takes over, to be able to tell if that was true or not. Uh, my guess is it's true. They're, they're, they're probably sending uh, data to the U.S. They're probably sending data to Singapore. What is probably causing the stern uh, reactions is, I bet there's some advertising data that gets sent out uh, to China. There's advertising yeah. data from every US app that gets sent out to Chinese ad placement companies uh, because that's a thriving industry there. So I bet that would be the quote unquote smoking gun you find. Not that personal data was sent there, but that this telemetry, this advertising stuff that everybody's always talking about with Facebook and Google, uh, that some of that is also going to an ad serving company based in China. Uh, and so Microsoft would likely cut off that relationship. Uh, how do you then convince the U.S. government that, uh, no, the code was never storing data in China, what little data it was sending to advertising companies that's there, we've stopped? I, I don't know. I don't know what level of assurance you'd have to give other than saying it. Yeah. Can we talk about the CEO real quick? Because you mentioned before he came from Disney, and, and that almost even sells short how hot of a property he was. He was the guy in charge of launching Disney+, Plus, which in a world where everybody wants to be in that game and many 
companies have tried to launch their own streaming service, uh, aside from the obvious behemoth of Netflix, Disney Plus seems to be the gold standard for how to launch a platform like this. He was on fire. He winds up taking this CEO job with uh, 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 TikTok, and now he's kind of in the middle of a, a, a gigantic war between China and the United States. Yeah, I mean, his story is sort of reflective of the entire TikTok story, right? Which is, hey, we're a rising popular thing. We're, we're, we are, if everyone was wondering, what's the next thing after Facebook and Snapchat? Guess what? It's TikTok. And Kevin Mayer rightly goes, I was the chairman of direct-to-consumer at Walt Disney, uh, which, by the way, direct-to-consumer is code for streaming, which is the hot new thing. You yeah. want to be in the direct-to-consumer uh, category, whatever media company you work at. Uh, the only thing that could pry him out of that would be to be able to run the show at the next big thing, the next rising yeah. thing, which is what TikTok looked like at the time. He was also uh, chairman of, of International uh, at Walt Disney, direct-to-consumer and international. So joining a Chinese company makes sense because he's had to negotiate with Chinese companies all the time. He's got some awareness. Uh, so it seemed like a brilliant move for Kevin Mayer. It seemed like a brilliant move for ByteDance at the time. And yet, the fastest <laughs> way to make God laugh is to announce your plans out loud, I guess. Uh, uh, do you expect this to go down? The Microsoft I, deal. I, You know, anyone who actually says with any certainty what's going to happen with TikTok uh, is making it up. They're lying to you. Uh, Microsoft doesn't know what's going to happen. ByteDance doesn't know what's going to happen. The, the U.S. government doesn't know what's going to happen. Uh, this is, this is you know, we've had so many unprecedented things. Here's another one. The U.S. government forcing the sale of one of the most popular up-and-coming tech companies from China to the United States while continuing to fan the flames and make China angry my guess is the end game for the U.S. is to get China to blink somehow. And I'm not sure exactly what kind of blinking, but but some kind of, of crumpling. That's why they're going after WeChat, because that's the one that hurts. They're going after TikTok because that's their pride and joy. That's, that's their success story in the rest of the world. Uh, I think Microsoft could make this deal happen if the government cooperates. Yeah, I don't know whether the government cooperates because I don't know what they're looking for out of this. It seems like they want the deal to go south so that they can say, hey, we tried. Uh, but also, I am never surprised when the president gets what he wants in some kind of blink or concession and immediately reverses course and says, of course, we love TikTok. Microsoft running TikTok is the best thing in the world. So that's likely to. Uh, my guess is it's probably not going to happen, though. Let's pull out a little bit to take the meta view on this because these are only surface level skirmishes for what is a much, much, much larger issue between the United States and China. Post-coronavirus, it has become bipartisan to think poorly of the Chinese Communist Party and, and the ruling government there. Where do you see this going? What are, what are the effects that this will have on tech writ large? Yeah, there's a lot of talk about whether this is uh, going to continue the trend to splinter the internet. Uh, you know, there there has been a lot of talk about in the past, well, China has its own internet, right? It's behind a firewall. And this is getting a lot of people to wonder, well, is the United States also creating their own internet uh, where you have different services and different rules if you want to play in the United States than outside? And then the rest of the world 
has to decide if they want to go along with that. Uh, very likely, Europe goes along with it in some sort of way, in their own regulatory GDPR kind of way. Uh, but Russia probably goes more along with China. You could see that happening where they grow closer to China and cooperate and say, we'll sell your Huawei phones, we'll take your TikTok uh, and make it available. And then India is in a border dispute with China, so they're likely to kind of land at least on the anti-China side, if not fully on the U.S. side, yeah. uh, which, which puts you wondering where Africa goes. Uh, Africa may not sound like a, a big deal for tech right now, but it is the future. It is the place where you have the most upside, where you can increase sales, where you can expand a business. It's got a consumer base that is ready to erupt the way Southeast Asia did a decade ago, the way India is now. And uh, there's going to be a big fight between tech companies to get African countries to play along with either the U.S. or the Chinese way of doing things. And China has played the long game with Africa. They have invested a lot in in some of these African countries to the point where some of the African countries don't like some of the deals that, that they have made with China and uh, uh, they have set up holdings there. So that is that is something that is ongoing. That is that is a, a, a spot that is ready to explode based on previous pressure. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, and there's a great uh, podcast out there and, and, and series of, of articles published under the China Africa Project uh, if you want to learn more about all the stuff that's going on there, because it, it is definitely hot right now. It's It used to be like China does nice thing for African country. African country says thanks. And that's that's not the way it is right now. There's no. a lot of spite, a lot of a lot of a lot of sniping going on. As it turns out, you know, there uh, there were strings to that free money and mm. equipment, as, as it turns out. Uh one last thing in terms of tech, obviously, especially here in the Bay Area, uh, the the culture is around funding, right? Uh, uh, finding the idea, supercharging it with money, seeing what happens with it. Increasingly, that money has come from overseas, be it SoftBank, Saudi Arabia, and China. Do you think that the China money is is done here in the Valley? That's a great question. Uh, I, I wouldn't want people to get the misimpression that the majority of startups are funded outside the U.S. VC no, money no, no, inside no, the no. U.S. is still predominant. But there, as, uh, as, as it turns out, there's work. a lot of rich people here in the yeah. Bay Area that have gotten rich on tech stuff there, and they so like to reinvest. Yes. If all of the Chinese money went away tomorrow, there'd be plenty of money to, yes. to fund startups. But there has been an increasing amount of money coming in from Chinese, which investors, which uh, also makes for, you know, a richer ecosystem and vice versa. There have been a lot of U.S. VCs investing in Chinese startups. And TikTok is one of the first examples of a company to kind of grow out of Chinese U.S. tech sector cooperation. Uh, Wired did a great story about Microsoft's incubator, which is one of the reasons Microsoft can buy TikTok is because they actually uh, understand the Chinese market very well. They've been there since 98 when Gates set up this incubator. And a lot of the folks that work at a lot of these companies like Tencent, like ByteDance, came out of that Microsoft incubator. That, I think, is the bigger danger. It's not losing the Chinese investment. It's losing those intangibles of cross-cooperation and talent sharing and sort of rising tide lifting all boats as startups you know, maybe start in China and then move to the United States or an idea sparks in the United States and moves to China. Uh, they take advantage of each other's supply chains and, and what certain regions have expertise in and how they do well. Uh, if that starts to dry up, 
I think you're going to to see a big impact on on the the kinds of of services that you get. You're you're going to see a less rich ecosystem. Well, we will all see it together, mostly because we will all be listening to the Daily Tech News Show as hosted by this man, Tom Merritt. Uh, uh, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for coming on, Tom. Anything else that you want to get out for everybody? Uh, no, if you if you like hearing about this kind of technology stuff, but also like hearing about noise-canceling headphones and other things that don't involve uh, policy, <laughs> we do it all, dailytechnewsshow.com. Yeah, and of course, I'm on every Thursday, and, and it seems like we've had no shortage of uh, no. Uh, uh, tech stories that cross with politics these days. So if, if you like this conversation, then every Thursday, uh, you're going to get a whole lot more of it. <laughs> Exactly. Thanks for being on. Yeah, those are those are really fun conversations. And like you say, uh, there, there's always something to talk about. And that'll bring us into the weekend or maybe it's already the weekend when you're listening to this. I know this tends to be a, a weekend listen to folks. So uh, I want to thank you. Thank you for doing it. Thank you for making me part of your podcast landscape. And I also want to thank our Titanic $10 tier, Modesto Zone, Logan, Cisco, NH, Blumpkin, Chad, Headphones, Neil, Water Ice Scoop, MacBook Pro, Dallas Danger, Taylor, Middle Age, Mike, DTNS, Hack5, Brad, Utah, Jimmy Montana, Frozen Summer, Zack and Cheese, Captain Bunzo, Zombie Doc, Berkeley, Steven, your boy, Craig, TripleFilm.com, Robert, Mr. Tallyman, D-Laser, I Poop My Pants, Just Another Pilot, Alex Mitchell, Severio, Martin, Alec, Government Unfiltered, Jerry, Andres, Archie, J. Milius, The Jen, The Crap in My Pants, Olin and Angela, DL, Brian, I Poop My Pants.com, Miranda, Janelle, Robert, Glenn, Wolf, Brand, Chili, Scoop, Richard, J. Pink, and Andrew Maine. Uh, I read those names uh, two times a week, and always there is Hack 5. Uh, that, of course, if you're not aware of Hack 5, uh, this otherwise would be DEFCON weekend, one of the biggest weekends for hackers uh, globally in Vegas. That obviously not happening now because of the pandemic. It's happening virtually, rather. Uh, but Hack 5 uh, turns 15 years old this week, and I want to salute Hack 5. Uh, obviously, y'all know I have uh, a soft spot for... The people that just do it by themselves. And Hack 5 is exactly that kind of story. So a big shout out to them. If you would like to follow me on social media, it is at Justin R. Young. A reminder that we have our PX3 lives. They are live Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, twitch.tv slash Justin R. Young. And you can get our PX3 free political newsletter at freepoliticalnewsletter.com. We're going to unite the brands a little bit in a second so we can make that even simpler for you guys. But until next time, this is your old pal Justin Robert Young saying some shows talk about politics, others talk about politics, and still more talk about politics, but this is the only show that talks about home.
Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs>